Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And uh, joining me today is none other than Kurt. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Carlo. Thanks for uh, for having me on. I, I, have, uh, I have brought suitable libations for my vast bulk and, uh, and pul- pulsa- pulsating heft. Of my of my thune uh, arms and and rope like muscles and yes, yes. <laughs> it's it's so folks uh, if this is any indication and you haven't read the 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 show notes or anything of the sort we're going to be talking about uh, the supposedly worst book ever written it's I mean it's bad. It's bad, but there's there's some definite uh, issues there that we want to get into, and it's called the Eye of Argon. And um, I just want to preface this real quick before we sort of get into this, because uh, this is something that was, I believe it was written what like in 1970. Uh, yeah, was, I think it was written in 69 and published in in 70. I think yeah, in in, in Osfan. Uh, it was it was written when. Uh, I think it was written in like late '69 and published in '70, or possibly just just written and published in in '70. I think in '69 you say nice. Yes, nice. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is you know sort of the the humor that you'd also find in this um, in this missive in this uh, this collection of words. This tome and uh, this tome. Yes, yes. Grimoire even. It's de- it's definitely uh, a grimoire. Um, I-, I I would say it's the grimoireiest. Um, but uh, <laughs> hey, is uh, is am I mistaken or um, is this a beer run technically? Because this is going to be a beer run. So I- I'm ready to ostentatiously uh, open my um, my uh, my my chilled crimson vessel filled oh. with with uh, potent puissant fluids of a bygone <laughs> era. So I'm, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> Go for it. If I, if my opener is up to it, what are you, uh, what are you drinking? If anything tonight, Carlo, I am going to be drinking some of the flying dogs, the fear. Uh, this is yet another, uh, type of pumpkin ale type of thing, but this is Imperial. So nice. I am, uh, I'm really going for it. I'm drinking a, a bourbon County, uh, 12, 12 year anniversary stout. Uh, aged for two years in twelve-year Weller bourbon barrels, um, it is a uh, fifteen percent. So um, I should have some interesting opinions by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if we were to uh, if we were to do what uh, is is I mean do a, a variant of what is usually done uh, when this this uh, 
uh, the eye of argon is red. Uh, it, just modify it to okay. Take a shot if you if you fucked up reading it. Uh, we would both be slammered by the time. Oh we're yes. even halfway done. I think. Yeah, yeah. So so let's let's give let's give some context about the eye of argon. Um, we already mentioned before. I uh, foolishly interrupted you. Um, it is a novella. Uh, I think it's about what, like twelve thousand words or so, ten thousand words. Yeah, something somewhere like that. Somewhere around there. Um, uh, it was uh, written and published in uh, a fan uh, a fan publication in uh, 1970 uh, by Jim Jim Thies, Tice. I'm not sure I how the Tice. Tice. I think it's Tice. It, um, who was at the time 16. Um, and uh, over time, so it is it is broadly in kind of the pulp tradition of uh robert e howard it's very conan inspired it it concerns a kind of you know straight out of central casting barbarian by the name of grigner of um ecoria i think is is ecordia ecordia thank you um and uh it's he's having you know barbarian adventures and and um having adventures with wenches and and kind of vaguely foreign guards and we can get more into the story um, but uh, it is it is written in a, a uh, let's say it is uh, it, it is it is elevated pulp. <laughs> it is yes. written in a very very uh, I don't know if it's overwrought, but it's certainly heavily wrought mm. uh, style. Um, and uh, and it's it's become and then I'll I'll shut up. It's become as you said, it's kind of become renowned or or had be kind of became renowned in uh, sci-fi and fantasy fan circles as, you know, something of a party game due to it, you know, it it's considered extremely bad. It is definitely funny to read aloud and people would gather at conventions, especially in like the 80s and 90s um, to take turns reading it aloud and seeing how far, how long they could go without uh, without laughing. Um, and uh, it, you know, I participated I will say in some of these live readings earlier in in my life, um, going to to cons. Uh, I don't know about about, about you, Carlo, but um, you know the the morality or ethics of this activity aside, uh, it, it certainly was a hoot um, for me at the time. I I have to say, I mean, I've seen it like uh, our local uh, convention, uh, Balticon uh, runs it. I believe the one that I'll be at in October, uh, Capclave runs it, which is another regional one, but just sort of in the DC area. I'm not entirely sure like something like Worldcon is doing it, but I wouldn't be surprised if if somewhere, perhaps even informally, it's being done there as well, even if it's not on programming. It's just something that has become something to do and you know there, there's plenty of people that have done it i have never participated in part because one i was like eh, i don't want to like take part in this weird like they told me it was the worst thing they've ever you know that's ever been written i sort of took them at their word and decided eh, i don't need to be at that and um Honestly, like uh, after, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit offline and after sort of like digging even the slightest amount, like I, I sort of came away going like, well, good thing. I, I, I can sort of not be not really because I was the perfectly moral person, you know, that that always does right, but simply out of 
pure accident, really. Uh, I I sort of did the right thing and and feel good about that. You know, I was like, okay, well, I I, I mean, in this, and to be clear, uh, anyone that's listening to this, if you have participated in a reading of the IR of Argon, uh, it's become a party game. I understand that. This is not to sort of call out anybody. This is not to sort of shame anyone, you know, that's, that's participated in this. It's simply, it's something that gets done now. Um, I just found it really fascinating after I finally like read it to find that, you know, I mean, for, for someone who wrote this at 16 and had the confidence to finish, like that is the number one rule that many people fail, including myself, finish what you start. And he finished and he turned it in and he was sort of proud of it. And, you know, and we can get to the, to the other aspects of that after afterwards, but I did want to start off. Um, I wanted to start off just to give people a taste if they've never read this before, uh, just start off with the beginning of the of the story, right? Excuse me a moment. So after after talking about how how problematic it is to do a reading, uh, a, a public reading of it as a game, that's exactly what we're going to do now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's it's hard to convey without really sort of going into it. And and to be clear, like I didn't find like it. It's. I'm not going to say it's good. Uh, it's not. It's not well written. It's. It's as badly written as I would have written something. You know, like even ten years ago. Uh, I mean, maybe not that bad, but but definitely like there's stuff that I've read that's not even you know not even close to when I was writing in, at 16 that uh, you know that I look at now and go like no that's that's not going anywhere that's going straight into the garbage. <laughs> um, so I mean. Let me just go into it because it starts off. It starts off rather um, epically, if you will. So uh, it starts off. The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climbs of the barren land which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire. Age-worn hoofprints smothered by the shifting sands of time shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of the earth. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead, halfway through its daily revolution. Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. Dust sprayed over three heaving mounts in blinding clouds while they bore the burdensome cargoes of their struggling overseers. Prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian haunts of hell, barbarian, gasped the first soldier. soldier. Only after you've kissed the fleeting stead of death, wretch, returned Grigner. (laughs) We could leave it there because you you get get, uh, uh, a sense of... There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot going on there. We we need to acknowledge that, first of all, it it, it is like funny or at least fun to read like it is and this is this is what struck me um and i think this is what has this is what made it a party game is uh it is a twisty turny uh like i said heavily wrought or overwrought um thing it is enjoyable to read like it's not it's not boring to be certain it is by no means boring um every 
paragraph, every sentence, something is happening. This is a this is a story with a lot of action and not uh, it actually it does have a lot of of it has a weird amount of internality. It has some very weird digressions. Um, mm-hmm. like, like later on, there's a part where all of a sudden it stops for like a full paragraph to start talking about like how much food, uh, Grigner needs to eat based on like how active he is. And it's like talking about like, you know, when he's, uh, out adventuring, he has to eat every six hours, but now that he's in prison, he only has to eat every 10 hours or possibly even every 15 hours if he's been especially rel- And it's like, <laughs> why is it doing this for a full paragraph? But, um, Again, it's not it's not boring. It is it is awkward. I wouldn't even call it bad, um, especially. And this is my take uh, that I want to touch on more later. Um, I read the first half and the second half I listened to as an audio as as like a text to speech thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually kind of fucking great uh, as a text to speech <laughs> thing, honestly. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, like even so. I think that my general take here is that Jim Tice is only sort of he, – he only had basically three basic sins here. Uh, one was that somewhere in – you know, somewhere someone told him perhaps that uh, you, know, you, should, uh, you shouldn't use the same word. Uh, you know, you shouldn't repeat words when you're yeah. writing a story. And uh, that then leads to the second sin, which is that boy had a thesaurus to sort of go and, you know, like check off every variant of the same word, uh, often on the same page, you know, uh, instead of, you know, like uh, saying, uh, you know, he'll use like, oh, his eyes leaked uh, tears down his cheeks. And as he struggled against the mighty thew, with his mighty thews against the uh, humongous rodent, his or- his briny orbs, you know, is turning in their sockets, and you're like, wow, okay, yeah, it's um, like every every single sentence. So if I am a huge fan of uh, Robert E. Howard, as probably anyone who's listened to any number of episodes of this podcast will will know, um, every sentence of this. Uh, work is written the way that the the most emphatic most um like poetic sentence of a robert e howard story is like for instance there's um in the first uh the the first conan story i think it's i think it's called like the what the hell is it called it's called like like the phoenix and the sword i think i'm I'm probably getting Mm -hmm. it a little bit wrong there's a part towards the end where um conan is uh fighting um, like like a snake man, you know, in in a tomb, and Conan is basically punching him. But the act of punching him takes like four paragraphs, and it becomes this epic philosophical battle between existence and non-existence. And it's talking about you know his the you know the wild man's rippling flesh and and tanned high blah blah blah, and it goes on and on. But like you know, in most pulp, uh, that only happens at the most heightened parts of the story in every sentence. Is written like this. So, and, and to, to be honest, though, like I understand why you would write it that way because that's the most enjoyable part. So, of course, if every sentence is written that way, it was it will all be the most uh, enjoyable part. And and then also there there is there is the issue where, as you mentioned, um, his constant pursuit of uh, synonyms sometimes causes like weird implications in the text. Like for instance, there's a part where um, uh, in chapter two, uh, Grigner arrives in Gorzum. 
um, goes to a tavern and uh, he meets a a wench, a stereotypical wench. I think her name is Carthina. We later find <laughs> out. Um, and it's it talks a fair bit about you know how how endowed uh, she is. Um, <laughs> it is that sort of story. And at one point, it describes her nipples as sagging. Yes, um, and yes. it's like, well, that the I I see what he's going for, but the 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 subtext of sagging is, I think, perhaps very very different from what he was trying to convey there. So there is <laughs> there there are you know there is definitely unintentional like unintended humor um, in it. However, I will say, um, I read an interview with Jim Tice in uh, shortly after the original publication of it, and I, I I think this was almost immediately met with either derision or joy or some combination of the two and he's a little bit put off um even even like you know a few months after its first publication that what he says were were um were edits that were made that he felt made it made it worse and added more errors and mistakes um so i i the the version that you'll find online is not jim tice's original manuscript it's the published one from 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 osfan and so i'm very curious after the fact i'll probably never know um like what what were the edits that you know he took exception to um and you know i i have to wonder if there was an you know a a cheeky editor who was like i'm going to accentuate some of this you know strange style of it kind of knowing what what they were doing uh, honestly well yeah i I'd, I'd heard um and and to your point i I'd, I'd also heard that there's speculation as to you know whether it was intentional or whether the um i think it was one of the editors of the original osfan that it showed up in maybe made the stencils incorrectly and just just made a mess of it um and then so in sort of this uh interest of preserving it uh and 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 perhaps not xeroxing it weirdly not xeroxing it but uh you know retyping it uh over time uh you know you have to wonder if those retypings haven't added you know in sort of like a weird uh telephone game added some weird uh errors and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and and yeah and also um for until 2005 so for you know almost 40 years we didn't have the ending uh mm-hmm. of this um it it's it just ended abruptly uh right before the big final battle when grigner is about to fight like an ooze that has emerged I, i'm i'm unclear about where um but it seems to kind of function on like dungeons and dragons logic where it's like well he's in a dungeon so there must be oozes and you know minor no 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 it's 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 the eye of argon itself oh it turns into the okay okay i got gotcha, you i got gotcha. you yeah yeah he um, he plucks he plucks the uh which is the funniest oh. one of the funnier things it's the ruby emerald um <laughs> from the eye of the idol uh so so uh, and perhaps to try to give this a a brief synopsis, right? So Grigner is minding his own business going down, like as we read, uh, you know, sort of going down this dusty road, gets accosted, takes, is taken before like the ruler of whatever the neighboring land is. I forget exactly right now. Uh, and Gorsum. he's thrown into a dungeon. What's that? G- Gorzum. Gorzum. So, and then the king there throws him into the dungeon and apparently there's um 
this was something this was something that was a little unclear to me. I wasn't sure if in the dungeon is where the weird cult to Argon exists. It, it, it is. Or- it's it's like it's it's introducing um yeah, so so Grigner gets thrown into the dungeon uh and it's kind of trying to introduce like a second point of view. Um, which which is like Carthena, like while Grigner is like suffering in the dungeon and plotting his escape, Carthena, the woman from the tavern, is about to be sacrificed to the ooze god or to to the 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 idol god. Mm-hmm. Um and they they're I don't know if they're in the dungeon, but they're they're in like the undercroft of the uh the Seraglio. Um, at the same time. So so it's kind of like intercutting between like, here's this woman about to be sacrificed and here's, you know, here's the hero trying to escape. It, it's a very cinematic move mm-hmm. um, where like that would that works in a film because it's like, oh, well, you know, something is happening elsewhere. Uh, and the fact that you're being shown it kind of establishes its importance. But in the text, the first time it happens, you're kind of like, what? wait, is he in the same room? as the cult or he's is he elsewhere and it is it is i would say actually one of the few spots where it's like you can tell that um jim doesn't quite have like a like a super strong grasp on like it conveying like f- the physical space that the story is taking place into to the reader i think mm-hmm. well and and uh, if we can jump ahead real quickly because i do believe that in the same interview maybe in the same interview that you were referencing earlier he also sort of sort of humbly admits yeah you know i understand it's not it's not my greatest thing you know i didn't understand structure uh you know i didn't know how to structure a story the right way you know but this is you know and he sort of conveys that this is something that made him happy you know and he was proud of the fact that it got it it got you know sort of published from the get go right um but he understood that you know it, it, it he could do better you know next time around um but but yeah so uh going back to the story um grigner manages to you know sort of break free he meets a rodent of unusual size uh, <laughs> no that's that's how he breaks free he he kills yeah, yeah. a rodent in his in his cell hides the the hip bone that he's fashioned into like a dagger and he yes. uses that to stab the kind of generic let's say vaguely quote unquote oriental slash eastern you know guards that have 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 come into his cell to take him away yeah i mean and then he he proceeds to round like basically just slaughter all the uh evil priests slash cultists of argon and plucks the eye out well not all one gets away because he has like a weird he he has a weird seizure. It literally I, says he has like an epileptic seizure. And he like has just an happens, epileptic seizure. He just, I'm not sure if it's because he was startled or if he just it just like happened. Yes, uh, and, yes. then, and, and then he gets up and is like, "Whoa, where did everybody else go?" <laughs> right. So you know, while uh, the the lone priest is over there, you know, with froth dripping from his lips, as per the story, you know, Grigner's like, you know, he's seems to be simultaneously have his uh, hands roaming Carthenia's uh, waist, uh, roaming around Carthenia's waist, whilst also also uh, plucking the. Uh, the the hor- from the horrific idol the eye of argon um which i i'd mentioned before but it is uh, basically a an emerald that just happens to be you know very red um 
and funny detail, but also like, okay, that's weird. And then the priest sort of comes back to and decides to attack and Carthenia finishes him off because he was the one that was like basically assaulting her. So I thought I thought that he got killed by by the trap that um which which actually was something that genuinely impressed me. So there's there, oh, there, that's there, right. there's a trap. So 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 Grigner is kind of descending through the dungeon, having escaped. Um, he's dressed himself as a guard, but he's like, okay, if anybody talks to me, they're gonna hear that I'm a barbarian. See, it's actually it's actually like it's a well structured story, honestly, because he's like, okay, I'm I'm a foreigner, I have a weird accent, they're not gonna believe that I'm actually a palace guard, so I like like I I, I just have to move fast, and he mm-hmm. almost gets killed by a trap, and he resets the trap, and is like, if anybody comes after me. This this trap will hopefully kill them, and and then the priest trying to attack him stumbles into the trap and gets completely wrecked by uh, it. And I had okay. forgotten about the trap, and it was actually really effective. I was like, "Whoa, shit!" Like I totally forgot. I totally forgot that he like Chekhov's dungeon, you know, four d four, you know, lethal damage to me. Check check off spike trap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> can't just check off just can't to, leave to hit there. armor class of zero save. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh. Going back to your, if I can go back to your comment regarding why he's including all this information about, um, like he he eats so much if he was out on the road, he eats he can he can only you know he doesn't need to eat so much if he's in the dungeon because he's not act so so active and blah blah, and what it reminds me of and what what I suspect, um, is that this I mean I don't know about you Kurt. But did you ever have a gaming group, a D&D gaming group that had the the guy or the, the person who wanted to just write stories based on the adventure? I suspect that I was that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I will come clean be, and say that honest. I am that guy. <laughs> I was that guy. Um so I mean that's exactly what this sounds like, right? The the idea yeah. of oh I need to convey you know, like this isn't exactly like trying to convey like the encumbrance rules or something like that, but it is sort of like oh well I need to eat at this time uh well I'm not so active so I need to eat this time. And this is like still first edition D&D where that shit was like really stringent, you know. So it it feels like he's following like uh, D&D rules like first edition D&D, you know, uh, where where you needed to, you know, you, basically, if you were exploring a dungeon, it would take X amount of minutes per, you know, 10 foot yeah. square or whatever. Um, but this is, I have to say, though, this is this is like four years before first edition D&D even existed. So it, w- it would have had to be like old, old gray beard, you know, war gaming. Like we're talking um you know like like early 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 tabletop gaming if indeed it is like that's the inspiration it certainly feels like it i i I had that thought but then i thought you know like this was 1970 and D &D first edition was 74 um so it's i mean yeah published in 74 yeah you're right yeah i mean it might have been the original like the little pamphlet version like mm, it, okay. it reads. I mean, this definitely reads like that. Um, that very weird, uh, uh, detail-oriented Gygaxian like mm-hmm. dungeon crawl type of rules, right? I don't know. Uh, well, we may we may never know actually here's, because here's my thought though is is um, the 
the thing that occurred to me was so I I mentioned the like he needs to eat every six hours thing because it's it's funny and it like it stands out as being like why is it talking about this at such length? But right before then, um, it goes into this again a very uh, Robert E. Howard di- di- digression. So something that you know if you're not familiar with Robert E. Howard, uh, created Conan. He was also a weird like like a like a back to nature type guy like a like like a lost glory of mankind type guy where he was like you know people used to be he was kind of like if you imagine like a stereotypical like militia type guy except it didn't really didn't he was certainly right wing but he didn't have like the the unified reactionary tendencies his tendencies were certainly reactionary in a lot of ways uh, he was a very he was a very um quirky guy but but he certainly felt that you know mankind uh, had lost touch with himself in terms of, you know, the struggle to survive made men stronger. And, you know, we live soft lives now. And that that shows up again and again. And he has uh, these like philosophical sides. And Jim Tice does the same thing. Um, So right right before the he needs to eat every six hours part, it's a part where it says, um, when a person is deprived of the sun, moon, and stars, he loses all, he technically, he loses all conception of time as he had previously understood it. It seemed as if years had passed if time were being measured by terms of misery and mental anguish. He estimated that his day had only been a few days length. Um, and this is very much like a Robert E. Howard type aside where it's like, it, he needs to emphasize like, not just that Conan is cool, but that he's better than you because he has a rough life and he's got some kind of like secret knowledge or skill of surviving in a harsh world because he's been raised in that world. And he's trying to convey like universal truths about like when a man is deprived of his liberty, this ha- like it's a very like didactic, like high handed mm-hmm. philosophical thing. And I-, I mean, clearly Jim Tice read a lot of Robert E. Howard and, and Conan. <laughs> and I-, I think he's trying to do that. And then he just kind of gets like carried away with like, well, what, what would it mean for someone to be, you know, a barbarian wandering the wastes? Um, and it produces these these interesting results. But to, to me, that that was that was a quirk of being like, I want to do the Robert E. Howard, like like philosophy, like uh, philosophy thing. <laughs> I just I, I was just paging through and I, I, I forgot that my third sin I'd mentioned two, And my third sin is that and I don't think it's a sin. I think he's trying to reclaim. The word slut. <laughs> uh, he's 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 ungendering it <laughs> because <laughs> it's so funny. Like uh, Grigner says something like, "I shall never understand the ways of your twisted civilization. I simply defend my honor and am condemned to life confinement by a pig who sits on his royal ass, wooing whores, and knows nothing of the affairs of the land he imagines <laughs> to rule." Lectures Grigner question mark, um, and uh, the the ruler says. Enough of this. Away with the slut before I lose my control. <laughs> you're like, it's so good. Man, the the king of the prince is I I I I DM'd you like shortly before this that um <laughs> he really needed to be like played by like Jason Manzukis from uh from the league <laughs> yes. or from like uh from a Legion. The, the good place. Just yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the good place. His like wild eyes and like crazy beard. And I, it's it's such a good <laughs> honestly, it's a really good character because everything he says I love, it. I love when he's like, Why have you come to my chateau? <laughs> I, I just passed that. Explain the purpose of this intrusion <laughs> upon my chateau. It rocks. It fucking rocks, man. <laughs> it's um, so good. I, I have to say, like, if 
if you're gonna if you're gonna like read this, don't just like select the whole. Download a text to speech app. Select all on the page. Um, it's like ansible.uk slash misc slash e uh, slash irgon.html. Select the whole thing, just paste it into the text to speech app, and just set it to like one point five speed and hit play, and it it rocks. It honestly is like really good. It's really enjoyable to listen to, <laughs> uh, and it captures all of the. Like the, you know, it, it reminds me almost of like a radio play. Like it's got that kind of like who know who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. The shadow know. Like it's got that like over the top. Like you only have the voice of the reader to go on, and it very much feels. I, again, I don't know if that's intentional or if he was sitting like reading it aloud and be like, "This fucking rocks to read this aloud." Um, <laughs> but it really, really works when read aloud. Again, as as. It, like, what more evidence do you need than the fact that people have been reading this aloud as jokes, you know, at, at, like as a party game for like 40 years or 50 years at, at at conventions? Right, right. So, I mean, I guess we could uh, we could turn. I mean, do we want to finish up here? Because I mean, they- yeah, yeah. OK, so so he um, so the head priest gets gets rocked by the trap. Um, then uh, he he's uh, Carthina. The, the the wench is like okay um you know i seduced this noble and um i learned about a secret way out of the palace so let's go that way so they're going that way um grignir is like wait i hear something coming she goes no it's just horses he goes no 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 i i, I, I you do not hear all that i hear um and then uh <laughs> it turns out that it's it's the king and like two of his noble attendants uh grignir just straight up kills them i think he like splits the king's he- uh, head in in half with like his axe or his his fist or something it's it's awesome whatever it is and it's talking about like goblets of of blood spraying in every direction i just hit my microphone with my hand um and uh uh and then he's like all right that did it and and then i believe the eye of argon turns into the slime um he i forget how he kills the slime um he he grabs the like the slime starts basically sucking the life out of him (laughs) And uh, so he grabs his torch, and I forget what it, what makes him think about it, but he's like, ah, he plunges the torch into the the maw of the of the reds reddish slime, and it uh, mules and like shrinks away from it until it's gone and done. That's and it. <laughs> and then and then he basically he picks up Carthina. He throws her over, literally throws his over his uh, his uh, shoulder, um, and then he rides off and is like later and and literally just leaves the nobles there to replace the missing monarch. And it ends with and I I, I love this I love it long leave the king and <laughs> yes, I yes. think that that is a pun I think that that is not a misspelling I think I think he's he's making a joke of like peace I'm out. Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! Exclamation point! <laughs> by Jim Tice, winner of the JT R- R- Rickush Award for Excellence. Um, I'm so glad that they found the the uh, the lost ending. Um, can we do like a stupid digression here since it is a beer run? Um, I'm sure. really fascinated in early fan culture, um, which was very like there was a clear divide, a, a permeable divide, but a divide for sure between fan culture and like professional writers. So I've been reading a lot of like, like Alfred Bester uh, recently, who's one of my favorite authors, really terrific, like father of modern sci-fi, absolute crackerjack writer. Um, 
only you didn't actually write of that much science fiction. He wrote like a couple novels and, and like a bunch of short stories. Um, he actually worked a lot of his life as a as a travel writer. Um, but uh, it, it, like if you read the lives of these like professional writers, they were mostly in like professional writers groups. And then around like the early 60s, mid 60s, so you start getting these like sci-fi fantasy fan groups, which kind of create like a parallel economy of like fan writers who are writing original material, but it's only being published in like fan um like publications. I I don't know if they would pay at all. It's uh, the impression I get is like probably not or if they did it was yeah. like it, it was like an honorarium. Um, so Osfan was was one of these. It was attached to like like a fan group. Actually, the the nineteen seventy interview with with Jim Tice that he kind of gives some opinions about like two different fan groups. Like, well, like I like this one more. Uh, it's, it's actually it's actually really interesting in terms of like the like so sociology of like f- you know fandom in the early seventies. Just talking about like, well, yeah, it's a science fiction and fantasy club, but we don't only talk about science fiction and fantasy. We talk about like politics and religion and just kind of like sports and generally shooting the shit. Like we're there because we want to be friends with other sci fi people, not because we only want to talk about sci fi. So it's it's an it's an interesting glimpse into that world. Um, but there's, there's like a bifurcation between the fan world and the professionally published world and there were a lot of people who were just fan authors much like there are today but i feel like nowadays i I mean maybe not i I guess there are people who are purely intending to write for like it's more fan fiction i i think now um Mm -hmm. whereas like people would write original you know original stories that were really only intended for fanzines and jim tice is very much one of those like he wasn't submitting this to like you know asimovs or anything like he was he was submitting it to a fan publication um i've gone on ebay and bought like you know some some old like pulp magazines and fan publications specifically like uh weird uh weird horror like weird fiction ones and there's a lot of writers like this and i think it's really interesting and charming and some of them are quite good writers um and it's Mm -hmm. very just kind of interesting that they saw themselves as like lesser than like basically like playing in like the farm leagues Almost. Um, and it, it right. adds an interesting dimension to this where it's like, okay, yeah, if this got published in like a professional magazine, all, you know, four of those that are left, uh, it, you, you might judge it harshly. But like this, this is published in like a fanzine. Like this was like a 16 year old writing stuff. And it's like, it's actually mm-hmm. quite good. Like, and mm-hmm. it, it is kind of a shame that he got bummed out by the experience and the reception and didn't go on. Cause I think that he could have been a really great, I, I'm just gonna say he, 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 he is a good writer, um, honestly. And I would have loved to see much more of his work. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I said that this is badly written in the sense that it, it there's a lot of sequences where he gets in his own way, uh, to describe something, um, and that's really the the major problem I've I had reading this. I didn't find it like, you know, I didn't find it like bad in a in any other way. And obviously, it's supposed to be like the sword and sorcery, you know, like Conan ripoff. But as you said, you know, and I had I had, I think I had tweeted this uh, like maybe yesterday or the day before that you know like Jim Tice seems to me, and granted him being a fan may mitigate this but it seems like you know like the eye of argon is like almost outsider art right it's it's not yeah. part of the 
the in-group that is, you know, patting themselves on the back about being, you know, like, oh, we're sci-fi writers or or we're writers that, you know, you know write about, you know, whatever. Um, but it, I was, honestly, I was really charmed by this this story. You know, it's it's really, it's got something to it. It's got some juice to it, you know? Yeah, there's, uh, there, if, I feel like if you limited me to 100 edits total, I think I could polish this slightly and remove things that are clearly like mistakes again like you know sagging nipples clearly clearly he didn't mean sagging nipples he meant like you know large breasts he didn't mean you know what the implication of that actually is i mm-hmm. think I, I can fix her i can fix her i'm telling you i can fix her <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know he's 16 he's 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 basically doing like yeah <laughs> i is- grabbed I grabbed her boobs and there were like two bags of sand. I love, like, mm. I love when it's like one of the, one of the funniest moments in it. And th- this, I, I do believe is unintentionally funny is when Grigner is like straight up, just like pawing at this woman. And he's like, you are, you're excellent at making love. That one has, yeah, that one has such a great, uh, what is it? He says something like he, uh, his blazing lips, uh, like he touched his blazing lips to something, something, and then fiery, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of heat going on. Yeah, there's a lot of testosterone rampaging through these pages. <laughs> but, you know, um, so I guess my my thing here is, so reading up on this, apparently Dice was uh, interviewed. Uh, supposedly uh, by uh, on a specific radio program. I think it was out of Los Angeles. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I might be wrong. And, and he was, he had sort of professed like some, like you said, he was like really bummed out by the fact that, yeah, um, they're making fun of something I wrote when I was 16. Like, can, like, can, can you lay, <laughs> can, can people lay off of that a little bit? And it sort of it bummed me out when I heard I heard that I was like, damn, that that sort of sucks, you know. And and I was just um, I was just watching like this uh, this video essay talking about like comparing it to like Rebecca Black the Friday video, and he was saying like, well, you know, Rebecca Black got made fun of and whatnot, but you know, she got it sort of all at once, like in a big chunk, uh, and she got over it, and you know, apparently she's making music again. Uh, but Jim Tyska had it sort of like drip fed to him over decades. And yeah, like, it's it's Ugh. it's different. It's different, right? Because for most of this time, there was no modern internet, right? So, like, let me let me go real personal, and I'll tell you about how I encountered this story. Um, so I got online a long time ago. I was born in '83, and I think I got online on the internet proper. Around like ninety three, ninety four. Um, you you thought you thought you were you were born into this. Yeah, internet. yeah, yeah. You were molded by it. Yeah, I've almost never been offline. I've been I've been online since you know uh, there used to be a modem program called Boyan, um, where uh, I, I I would launch from a DOS prompt on my 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 eighty two eighty six Hewlett Packard uh, in my uh, in my bedroom. Um, I would put a uh, I would put a towel over my hands over the keyboard so that it, you you couldn't hear my my mechanical keyboard making clickety clack 
noises. I also I also disconnected the modem speaker because it used to make that you know, um, so it wouldn't it wouldn't make that sound. And I would dial into a Unix prompt, and that's how I got into science fiction and fantasy. And in particular, um, my first entrance, uh, although I would not consider myself part of the furry community now, was hanging out with furries, which was very closely intertwined in the the mid '90s with like the science fiction and fantasy community. And my first conventions were furry conventions, um, and that's where I first encountered the Eye of Argon, probably in about '96, '97. At I think it was Anthrocon um, in uh, the Philadelphia uh, suburbs, um, and uh, so I'm you know 16 or 17. I'm at you know this convention. My mind is being blown by the fact that like this is you know the, the nerds were not around when I was a teenager. I, I, I assume not so much when you were a teenager either, Carlo. Right? Like they were around not a bit, right? No. Yeah, like you you would see like oh it's another nerd. Oh my gosh, you know I need to go talk to them. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the con scene I, I gather is different now, but it used to be very like a bacchanal essentially. And people would hang out in like weird party rooms and stuff. Um, and in, in one of those, I first encountered the eye of Argon and it was presented to me without context as just this like photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy in a three ring binder that also had, you know, a bunch of like Star Trek themed song parodies of like Christmas carols and shit like that. Um, and it was like a bunch of, you know, fan crap, just like random stuff in a three ring binder. And they were like, Oh, this is the eye of Argon. We, we read it and it's really funny. Um, nobody, no, I don't want to say nobody knew where it came from, but it was very normal to not know where it came from. It could have been anything. It could have been a professional writer who, who did a bad job. It could have been written as a joke. You just didn't have that context. And there was no Wikipedia to look it up. There was no YouTube to do video essays. It was literally just like you met people online and they told you shit. So maybe you would know somebody who's been in the sci-fi community since the late 60s. And I did know some people like that. Uh, and they could tell you, oh, yeah, this this came out of here. And I, I knew this guy, Jim, and blah, blah, blah. Like, But overall, you had no context. So that was the situation in which I encountered it. It was just, it was just like a funny thing. You encountered it. And so um, it would probably be a bummer for Jim Tice to just periodically be like, oh, yeah, there's this thing. It rocks. It's really funny and super bad. It's called the Eye of Argon. And it's like, oh, fuck this shit again. Like, do I tell them <laughs> that I wrote it? Do I? Because it, it's not even clear that he was super involved in the sci-fi fandom, you know, after the 70s. So it's just this right. weird thing that pops up periodically. Uh, and again, you, you couldn't go onto Google and name search yourself. There was no Google. Right. <laughs> there there well, were no also, names. <laughs> it's also, uh, interesting because, uh, I think you were mentioning or you had referenced, uh, that copyright laws were different before. What is it? 76? 76. And it went into effect January 1st, 1978. Yeah. So... Before I mean, that right date, now. if you didn't include a copyright notice in your publication, it was in the public domain automatically. Yeah. And so, you know, on top of everything else, like this, this entire work, um, you know, which, you know, I think you and I both agree, we, we both found charming. Like it's really, you know, it's got, it's got potential to it. Um, and yeah, he hasn't seen a penny. Uh, he never saw a penny of it. You yeah, know, he he died. He died in two thousand two, um, at at the age of forty eight. Poor guy. Um, 
And, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, it makes me feel sort of weird about it, you know? Like, he never saw any sort of remunerations for it. Um, and all he ever got from it was, like, you know, probably people <laughs> telling him, like, oh, yeah, I did this really great thing. This is <laughs> it the sucks. Hilarious. <laughs> And you're like, fuck you, man. I, I mean, this this is probably had this is this probably has cast a longer shadow over science fiction and fantasy fandom than almost any Hugo winner, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, do, do, how how many Hugo winners are still really actively read? You know, like a dozen, two dozen. You know, in Maybe, the fifty yeah. something. Like, when was the first Hugo? Like 60, 61, 62? Maybe a little uh, bit before then, like fifty eight, fifty nine. I thought it was like fifty three, but I might be maybe I might be thinking of the nebulas. I know that it was the Demolished Man by Alfred Bester, who I referenced earlier, was was the the first Hugo winner. Um, uh, but and I, yeah, actually, nope, I was I was right. I was right. It's fifty three. Fifty three. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, do do people do more people know the Demolished Man, than the Eye of Argon? I I doubt it. I think more people know the Eye of Argon. Like this casts a really long shadow. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he didn't see any money from it at any point apart from, you know, it's, it sounds like his, it sounds like his, his, uh, relationship to it changed periodically. It sounds like at some point he was kind of into being like a Tommy Wiseau type figure. Like I, I read uh-huh. anecdotally that he participated in live readings of it at various points and then kind of towards the end of his life was much more down on it again. Um, I feel like if he were you know, around and kicking now, I I feel like he'd be much more able to own it. Like it, it feels like culture has, has come around to being like, uh, you, you can ironically appreciate something without saying it sucks and just kind of come mm-hmm. around to being like, actually it's good. You know, like, like, uh, like Chuck Tingle, you know, is like people yeah. ironically appreciate it. But I was like, actually Chuck Tingle is good. I, I feel like Jim Tice is frankly better. <laughs> Honestly, I, 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 I think, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and, you know, the, what was I going to say? Um, the, 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 I think that the fact is that, like you said, like, I think that fandom has sort of changed and it's weird because I feel like people are making, are still sort of laughing about the eye of Argon. Uh, but you know, like if they, if, if they were really like brave, they would like, search out someone that's currently <laughs> currently alive and be like, let's read this person's bullshit and, and laugh at that. But you know, that's mean. <laughs> so but it's, it's interesting to me because like, I, I, I feel like there, there's been a leveling Um, earlier. I was talking about the bifurcation between like fan culture and sci-fi writer culture. And I think I, I'm, a little bit drunk, so I forgot to make my point, which was if you read the biographies of like early successful sci-fi writers, they fall in with groups of other sci-fi writers, not uh, sometimes with fans, oftentimes just with other writers. So Alfred Bester got introduced to a group of writers. H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard had groups of writers. They were groups of professional writers who were like, oh, if you want to sell, sell here. You have to sell this to this publication, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And that was different from the fan community. Although there there was some some overlap. Like one of the first fanzines uh was um I believe it was it was like a female run uh Western um fanzine. Uh although also um there was also one by uh gosh I, I forget his name. Uh he was like a radio guy 
who created like a fanzine basically because he wanted to to popularize the fandom of like like radio serials. Anyway, um, but in like the fifties and sixties, there there was definitely like 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 a bifurcation where it's like you, you know fan culture was different from writer culture, and now I feel like increasingly fan culture and writer culture are the, are the same, right? Like there's a there's a very permeable membrane between it's like. You know, people go from being a fan of sci-fi and fantasy to wanting to be a professional sci-fi and fantasy writer, and you can kind of drift back and forth. Like, there's people who are primarily a fan, but I've also published some some sci-fi. There's people who are, you know, primarily, uh, you know, a a more professionalized person who are also fans. Um, and I feel like now it's very gauche to be like, oh, well, I'm gonna make fun of this person, but in the '70s, if you were a fan. You kind of just make fun of a writer, right? And be like, well, this sucks. Fuck this. It sucks. And it's like, unless you were saying it to their face, you know, it's again, it's 1978. You can't mm-hmm. like, you can't name search yourself. There is no internet. Well, there's, there's kind of, you, you can't go on, on like the DARPA net and, you know, and find, well, I mean, find somebody talking shit on you. Um, so that, you, you, yeah. could, you could make fun of stuff and be like, they're never going to hear this. Right. I, I do think it's interesting, though, that regardless of, there not being an internet, uh, I have Argon actually propagated uh, almost, you know, right before the internet became a big thing um, and became like a phenomenon. It almost was a pre, like it's a pre internet vi- viral uh, story, right? Yeah, um, it, ab- it absolutely was. And there was, there was a lot of those, and they used to be passed around by photocopies. Uh, facts-based zines were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I want to say that uh, Cheap Truth, Bruce Sterling's um, zine was was sometime was, was like a facts-based thing. We could like say, "Hey, fax me a copy at this number." Um, so, to, to, to that point, uh, I found a um, a correspondence from 1994. It was a Usenet thread. Um, where people are talking about the Eye of Argon. They're, they're talking about the way that it gets read at uh, at uh, conventions, and they're arguing about copyright law. It reads very current. Um, and uh, it's a thread between a, a bunch of random people. And then it's funny, because like, I see like like tour.com addresses there, too. So it's it, it's funny how you know certain institutions are still around. Um, and- well, well, yeah, that's because uh, I believe uh, one of the, the first persons right up top is uh, Neat. Neil Patrick Hayden, I think it P. is. P. Nielsen Hayden, he, yeah. There, there we go. I'm sorry. Um, and he's like a he, at least he was an editor uh, a couple of years back. I don't know if he's still there. Mm-hmm. I suspect he is. So, so, but and, and but go ahead. And, I was say, so, so, and, and people relate the story. Oh yeah, it was written by a 16 year old, and one commenter um says, uh, Richard, thanks for posting this. Having heard Eye of Argon several times, again, this is 1994, I couldn't figure out if the author either was just an awful writer or if uh, she slash he was out to be deliberately bad. Hearing that the author was just quite young puts a different spin on those famous Eye of Argon readings. Again, 1994, like we're in, mm-hmm. like, if there is an internet, it is very small um, at this time. And people are already, you know, discovering like, oh, this is written by a teenager. I have weird feelings about this. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, 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 so it's not like, it's not like it was universally like accepted as just, oh, we could just shit on this. It just, to me, it's just a lot of people just didn't know. Like you didn't, you, right. you didn't know things. You, you couldn't easily look it up at the time. Right. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's also one of these things that um, 
I think that uh, it implied in there uh, is the fact that for a long time people thought it might be not exactly a hoax, but definitely like a, a send up that some professional oh, writer had made had made uh, sort of and put out there. Uh, in part because it was passed around so many times, and you know people get copies and copies and copies. Um, so you know you you sort of lose the thread of what the provenance of the of the story is. Um, but you know, uh, I don't know. It, 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 I, I just find it. I, I came up with this weird idea that this is like a shabby type of immortality for Jim Tice, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. I get to be remembered for like one of the things I did when I was sixteen. Yeah, but <laughs> I died at forty-eight. <laughs> honestly, I. Like, again, I don't want to just kind of do like a take where it's like, oh, this is actually good. But, um, you know, if this were a 1940s radio show script, it would be actually good. Listening to it just be read aloud by people who are kind of doing like if if you did this as like, you know, a podcast, and you got some like celebrity narrators and stuff like I, I think it would be massively popular. Um, it's fun. It's funny. It's enjoyable. It has a like it has like a decent structure. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, it's enjoyable. Also, I, 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 th- this, uh, that Usenet thread that I mentioned really took me back. Um, the funniest thing in it. And I, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, uh, is, uh, somebody responds. So, so somebody says like, where can I get a copy of this online? And somebody replies, you can FTP the eye of Argon from Gandalf.ruckers.edu. The <laughs> file name is slash pub slash SFL slash Argon.txt. On certain Unix systems like Netcom, you can use it at the, at the command line prompt ncftp gandalf.ruckers.edu slash pubs this SFL argon.txt or send email to uh, sflover <laughs> at gandalf.ruckers.edu with a message that says get.argon.txt. Again, uh, on certain systems, you can just do this. Um, it will send it to you. I, I love I, I love that they're like, Here's the secret. Here, here is the machine speak. Send the machine speak to this particular server, and it will be delivered to you in in the ancient text. It's so fucking cool, man. Like that that era of fandom and the internet itself is so strange that I'm I'm honestly surprised there's not more stuff um talking about it. It's such an unusual uh time and 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 place. Well, I mean, it it reminds me that that reminds me of like the first uh, incarnations of like Zork, which was like yeah, a, yeah, which was like a, a they they were just basically reskinning Colossal Cave Adventure, uh, and they added like their own little flourishes, but it only lived on like the MIT, uh, the internal intranet of yes. MIT, and they had to they had to make sure that whoever was going to log on to play the game. They needed to make sure that they they did it at certain times because they didn't want to like overload the system. And it's just so funny. It, like where whereas now it's like you know you you your your Wi Fi has a hiccup for five seconds and it doesn't load up like the the JPEG that you yeah. wanted to look at. You're like <laughs> fuck this, this is bullshit. I one of my greatest failings, which I've only just realized, is uh, you know Pete's 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 on. Uh, on hiatus currently, I think it's okay to say. And, um, and, you know, we, we kept, we kept talking about doing and then putting off this, this episode where we would talk about, uh, the cuckoo's egg, where I told him about a, uh, an early eighties, um, nonfiction computer espionage thriller 
uh, called the Cuckoo's Egg. Uh, basically, basically the the first international computer espionage uh, court case uh, about like a Unix sysadmin discovering a hacker, and he discovers the hacker because at the time, if you wanted to use server time, you got billed by the second. So if you were playing Zork, you would accumulate, you know, 72 cents of server time that was billed to your department. And they'd be like, what the fuck is this, man? You're playing Zork. We can see what you're doing. Um, and there was a rounding <laughs> error that the hacker left by like erasing his records. And uh, Pete thought I was talking about uh, a, a, a sci-fi fantasy story called called The Cuckoo's Egg, which is completely different. He was like, what the fuck is Kurt talking about? Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, it, it's 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 such a weird like. It's almost like the early days of the automobile or like the early days of like 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 aviation. People are just cobbling shit together and doing weird stuff and swapping spark plugs. And it's such a weird um, it's like a weird tangibility. And it's interesting mm-hmm. to me to go back to like sci fi culture at the time and, and things like the Eye of Argon and be like, oh, like this was this was at this server. That was the only place to get it. It wasn't just posted a bunch of different places um it's very strange right. uh, it ends it like it ends it like an interesting like almost like a sci-fi sensibility to it almost like a cyberpunk sensibility to it yeah yeah like but but like the sort of like the 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 high versus low culture that uh, gibson introduced to sci-fi right the to, to cyberpunk i should say um where you know like for instance it it just struck me right now that you know we, we may want to talk about you know zelazny and lord of light and i'm thinking shit more or less at the same time that zelazny's like publishing you know like whatever the first one of the first amber books or whatever this is being sort of like looked or like jim tice is publishing this in some fanzine out in you know st louis missouri or whatever um it's just you're right i mean it's it's a wild it's a wild time and and the fact that we are so connected and so wired right now makes it seem like it's it's just a, a completely different planet than where we live on right now. Yeah, and like like you find out about this story, you're like, well, what's the story? What's the story of the story? And that's easy to find out. It has a Wikipedia entry. You can go there and read it, and you're like, what the fuck? It's written by a teenager. <laughs> People spent forty years making fun of it. That's fucked up. But you know, go back 15 years and there's no way to get the story of the story. That becomes a serious question of like historiography. Like you actually had to interview people and find stuff out and figure out like, where did it come from? How did it propagate? Um, And so you might just not know. You might, you might never know. Um, One of the most confusing things to explain to young people is the idea of the impermanence of data, right? Of information where you would see I, I'm sure that you had the, the, this experience. You might turn on MTV at 2 a.m. and you would see 10 minutes of a, of some weird short and be like, "What the fuck was that?" And and, <laughs> yeah, and, and then like, and then you're like, "How do I how do I find it again? I I can't. I have no idea what it is." Um, there's a uh, a uh, an Academy Award nominated uh, animation by the director of Kung Fu Panda in a f- fucked up way. Uh, let's see, what is it called? Um, uh uh it was like a uh it was a stop motion animation thing um hold on a second i'm i'm figuring this out in real time <laughs> what the hell's his name uh mark osborne there we go okay uh so mark osborne did a stop motion animated short uh in 1999 called more 
which I saw on the Sci-Fi Channel um, in uh, on like one of their like late night. I don't know what it was called. You know, like we're just gonna show a bunch of random shit um, <laughs> things. And I saw it. And I was like, what was that? That was really interesting. And I saw that one time, and it stuck with me for years and years and years. It was probably ten years before I was able to find it again because it was just lost. There was no way to get it again. You know, short of like, I don't know like going to like an art school and looking at their library and borrowing stuff and trying to find it. Um, it was lost and explaining that calling, calling up the arc, the the archivist. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it's, it's so hard to explain to younger people that like you would see something, not know what it was. And then it was gone. You know, you would see a cartoon show when you were a kid, the, the number one conversation I remember having on the playground was like, do you remember this show? And people and, pe- and sometimes people would be like that, that that doesn't exist clearly you made that up and it's like no 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 I remember I saw it I didn't see it here I was you know visiting my dad in in Jersey City and I saw it on you know the PBS affiliate there and there was no way to prove there was no way to prove it it was just like it was like a thing like it was lost knowledge and the Eye <laughs> of Argon for you know was kind of one of those things on the periphery where if you didn't know the right people if you weren't in the right place you would never encounter it. And now it has a Wikipedia yeah. entry and the full the full story. And so it's easy, I think, now to look at it and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you, why are you making fun of this? But at well, the time, I mean, it was a that, mystery. Yeah, I mean, at, at the same time, that's exactly why, you know, like, I wanted to make clear from the beginning. Like, I, I mean, I'm still sort of disturbed by this. But at the same time, like, I wanted to make sure that, like, yeah, you know, I get it. You know, it's been it's been going on for a long time. Uh, the, the, the details were never really clear initially. And now it's been sort of cobbled together, sort of. Um, and, and now we sort of know and it's, it's sort of fucked up, but I mean, it's also like, okay. I, I I think it deserves a Hugo. I think it deserves a Hugo. I have to say if, if AO3 deserves a Hugo, this deserves a Hugo. Um, it should Jim yeah, or at I the mean, very least honestly. Jim Tice deserves like a, like a lifetime achievement award. I don't know. Not, not, not to write any wrongs, um, but mm-hmm. to recognize the impact that this story has had. Uh, and the fact that honestly, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Right. Well, I mean, and, and I think that one of the other things that, that struck me when I was making, you know, I was pointing out that this, this is sort of outsider art is the fact that, you know, weirdly, and and I don't know. You know, I, I don't want to get into too you know too deep a rabbit hole here. But in general, Jim Tice decided to make his own like little character. That sure, it's a pastiche of Conan and whatnot, but it's not Conan. Yeah, you know, he wasn't doing like Conan fanfic. He was doing like Grigner. He has Grigner. red. He has red hair, not black hair. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, he's he's do he's trying to do like he's trying to do an original yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And that's somewhat, you know, weirdly different than, you know, doing just fanfic, which is, you know, completely derivative, which, you know, I don't want to, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence about the aspect of writing, right? The, the, the writing aspect, you know, if you write, you write, but at the same time, like, I don't think that f- fan fiction or derivative works are quite as good as, you know, original stuff. Call me a gatekeeper. Yeah, it's kind of um. Yeah, there's a there's a comfort zone where it, I I I think it was Jack London who said something along the lines of like you know your your progressions as an, as an author 
starts with stealing from somebody in particular and wearing their style like a coat. And then you'll steal two more people and eventually you forget what you're stealing and then you suddenly find yourself having your own style. But you will, you know, you will steal somebody else's style, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, and yeah, you know, that's... he's he's very much stealing somebody's style, but he's already doing his own thing with it. You know, whether it's good or bad, or it's an improvement, or you know, like deleterious. It's it's you know, it is its own thing at the very least. It's not just be. It's it's easy because Conan is a well defined character. You know, Conan does this. The Sumerians are like this. You know, and he's mm-hmm. trying to, at the very least, come up with his his own thing. It's not as well realized, but it is something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a novelette. So, I mean, you don't need to really get into a lot of backstory or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and, and you know, he he's sort of sort of an archetype in and of itself, right? He's the barbarian archetype, you know, the one that we see in D&D and in Conan and, and all of this, you know, basically the, the Conan archetype, um, except he's called Grigner. Do you, know, you, do, you do you think that part of the uh, mockability of this is the fact that it is that Conan archetype, which, it, you know, in the 70s and 80s, less of the 70s, but um, certainly in the 80s and definitely the 90s, was seen as a joke like very much out of fashion like that was like the butt of every joke um i i even remember like we were talking about talking about uh talking about talking about korgoth the barbarian the uh mm-hmm. the the abandoned adult swim pilot um yes very, very much in the same vein of this and conan um like it's kind yeah, of I mean, it, it's a it joke honestly- in and of itself yeah, I mean, it, it honestly, like the if no one's ever seen this, I'm going I'm going to look it up. I think it's on on YouTube for free, uh, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes. But if no one's ever seen this, it is, it it rules, and it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> it uh, ass, it man. is funny. It, it does kick ass. Like it's it's sort of like a, a honestly, it's like the best parts of like Conan and like Dying Earth type stuff just mashed together in, in its own thing. And it's honestly, it's got a, a like some great writing, uh, especially <laughs> I still laugh at the stupid joke about the, no, we got to collect for the, the new name for the tavern. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I don't want to spoil it because it's a good joke, but anyway, uh, th- the point is that uh, I think that that is very much in the vein of like, I have Argon, you know, it's, it's very much doing, the similar a similar thing yeah and like like uh, if if this were a subpar ursula k Le Guin pastiche in 1970 you know would it still have been mocked to that extent in 1990 i kind of doubt it right like, yeah yeah like I, I, the, think, the I think the barbarian sword and sandal thing or or uh sorry sword and sorcery thing was like the joke of 90s fantasy like that was like oh we don't write this anymore well i think it's weird that uh i think you're right like sword and sorcery in general has sort of fallen by the wayside it's sort of like this weird uh i think it's because it it's associated with conan and is associated with the faffer and the gray mouser which are like these misanthropic uh and, and definitely uh Con- considered to be misogynistic type it, it, of- it is it is it is misogynistic it's orientalist and it's fucked up and it was written in a time 
that was fucked up. It was written at a time when government policy was fucked up and racist and misogynist and and it is racist and, and misogynist. All those things are true. I don't think we need to yeah. like dissemble about that. It's it's well, very, no, no, it's very I, true. I just I haven't I haven't read Conan, so I can't really oh, opine about it. You should, it's good. I mean and it's it's not very long. Yes. No, no. I, I mean, I just have never really gotten around to it. Uh, it probably in part, uh, in part because you know, like it's sort of a joke. You know, when I was coming up, it was like, oh well, Conan. What? And funnily, like I, I latched on to to like the the Lankmar adventures type stuff because it, it's it's very urbane and very sort of somewhat different than Conan. It's sort of doing the same thing, but doing it in a city. Uh, like in a city uh, setting, rather than you know, out in the mm-hmm. wilderness or whatever. Um, in any case, you know, it's 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 a clever sort of type of thing that he's doing, uh, Liber. But you know, I should probably just read some Conan because obviously, you know, it's got it's got a long reach. We should talk about of- Conan at some point because it is it is a very different thing than the way it's stereotyped. Um, it's a much more cerebral at times excessively cerebral thing. And you do get flashes of it in eye of Argon where he's trying to get kind of like philosophical with it. Uh, because those, those writers saw this, you know, they weren't just like writing like, Oh, he's a big strong guy who bashes heads. They're like, he's a big strong guy who bashes heads. And that says something about the human condition. Like a lot of those writers, especially <laughs> Robert E. Howard were very like ideological in what they were depicting. And there's a, there's a weird underpinning, much like there's a weird underpinning to Lovecraft, at times good, at times very racist, um, mm-hmm. that that you can like, – there's a lot that you can tease out of those stories beyond just like me Conan, me Smash. You know, Conan is like – is is a scholar in his own way. You know, that, that that's like the nature of the character and you get flashes of that in, in this. And that's what I think is the – that I think is what the stereotype loses and that I think is what the parody of things like Eye of Argon or the way that they're received lose. So. Yeah, I think I mean I think that yeah, some of the the sort of the masculinity uh, issues that um, Conan represents probably were were ripe for mockery, you know, at the time that you know, like the seventies come around. Partly because, it, if I'm not mistaken, like the new wave was sort of already underway at that point, so it's much more sort of. Uh, Opening the doors to you know different writers. Yeah, the new wave writers, probably started like sixty, writers. probably like sixty-seven. It's probably the earliest when you start really seeing new wave stuff. Um, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But it's funny because you're you're pointing out that you know the new wave is sort of typified by the fact that it's very you know lots of internal internality is included in these adventures, but apparently it was already there in Conan. It's just that you know I think that. In part, Conan became, and sword and sorcery in general, became sort of like this seedy type of unsavory aspect of sci-fi that people wanted to move away from. Oh, and I, and, I, I mean, yeah, and it, like they wanted to move away from it, but like the new wave, I've talked about this before, but like the the new wave, a lot of it is in explicit like juxtapose with sword mm-hmm. and sorcery. You know, um, Elric of Melendabone. Michael Moorcock's creation literally starts with a Conan pastiche slash reference. Like the, the mm-hmm. opening sequence of the first Elric story is 
in its own way, almost identical to the opening of the first Conan story. Like if you put them side well, by it, side, the structure is almost the same. The story is almost the same. Like Elric was basically created by Michael Moorcock being like, what if instead of a guy who is noble, beefcake, uses a sword, hates magic, what if he was like a weird skinny nerd who loves drugs and, and sorcery and, you know, Satan stuff? And um, had a demon sword, yeah. And had a demon well, sword, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and the the excerpt that you put, it just put in mind, like, obviously, he is absolutely doing, like, that, that intro from the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, it's sort of the same thing where he's, like, saying, ah, 10,000 years or whatever, you know. Uh, and, and it's weird because he does this weird thing where he's, like, it's either 10,000 years before recorded history or 10,000 years after reco- uh, history yes. stops being recorded. And it's sort of, like, then starts fucking with you a little bit, right? Because he's like, yeah, this happens in a time. Let's call it story time, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it is, you're absolutely right. He said, well, oh, this guy's got lots of muscles and is sort of swarthy and has black hair. Well, you know what? My guy's really skinny, loves drugs, has no muscles, as an albino, in fact, and uh, has a demon sword. That's you know, and, riddle and of steel. Yet, the first cone, uh, the the first Elric appearance in comic books, anyway, was in a Conan the Barbarian uh, serialized uh, comic. So, so there, take that, <laughs> take that, Moorcock, <laughs> you haughty bastard. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I think that uh, I think we could probably uh, set the Eye of Argon back in its idol's uh, <laughs> a socket uh, before it turns into a big red slime big that tries to suck the life out of us. Blood, yeah. Um. Uh. Do you have any last thoughts, Kurt? I. I. I think I'm Argoned out. Um. I'll. My. My only last thought is again, like, if if you you know read the first four paragraphs. And if you're like, wow, this is hard to read, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, open the page, command A if you're on a Mac, control A if you're on Windows, get a text-to-speech reader, paste it in there, set it to 1.25 speed or 1.5 speed, and just hit play. And it will be enjoyable. It is fun. Uh, it reads well. It is meant to be read aloud. And you don't notice as much the over the topness of it it is it is perfect it is like in the oral storytelling tradition um rip jim tace uh i press f 1 million times uh respect you were a good writer i wish you had written more you know sword and sorcery or or whatever you wanted to write uh you know r- r- rest in power jim tace that's all I'll close yeah, with man. yeah actually yeah rest in power jim tace um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to include that, uh, the, the, the link to ansible.uk, um, where you can find the eye of Argon in the show notes, give it a listen, give it a read, whatever you want to do. It's, it is actually a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think that's it for me. Um, and, uh, Kurt, what speaking of red hot irons that you <laughs> lug about perhaps on a dusty road <laughs> uh where can we find your stuff uh bloodknife.com or patreon.com slash bloodknife i'm also on twitter at, at mechanical kurt 
Um, you can also find me on various discords where I uh, probably post more than I should. Write good, positive picnic. Subscribe to both of those podcasts. Uh, you can also find me on the podcast. Parents just, just don't understand uh, where sometimes we endeavor to understand uh, children's media um, and the nature of childhood. And that's uh, me and our good friend, Chris, a.k.a. CWW, uh, who couldn't join us tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, we talk about we talk about some some fun stuff. And actually, uh, did you know that there is a there was a Conan Saturday morning cartoon that I very much want to talk about at some point? And uh, maybe that will be our next episode. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. All right. That sounds cool. Yeah. By the glittering right. gems of Isis. Not that Isis, the good Isis. <laughs> the, the, uh, and the, 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 the thrumming thune of, of my muscular thigh and, and, and heady, heady grip of my axe handle. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, in any case, uh, I think that's it from us here. And folks, if um, thanks for listening. Go, go read or listen to I, The Eye of Argon, and we'll catch you next time on Potside. Long leave the king. Long leave the king. <laughs> exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Bye, guys. <laughs>